Welcome to the FedSpeak podcast, brought to you by m and Market News. I'm Jean Young, reporter in Washington. With me today is Joseph Wang, proprietor of FedGuy.com, a research blog. Before this, he spent five years as a trader on the New York Fed's open markets desk. He's also the author of Central Banking 101, a book that explains how the Fed operates and how the global financial system works. So he's the perfect guest to explain what's been happening to the Fed's balance sheet lately and the outlook for QT. Thanks for being here, Joseph. Thanks so much for having me. I love this show and it's a pleasure to be here. So you have a new blog post this week that's titled A Beautiful Replenishment, and it maps out how the U.S. Treasury has managed to successfully rebuild its cash account after the debt ceiling was lifted with very little market disruption and why that bodes well for the Fed to continue QT for the foreseeable future. So maybe we can start by setting the scene. In early June, Congress has just lifted the debt ceiling, averting what could have been a massive disruption for the global financial system. The Treasury was getting ready to issue hundreds of billions of dollars worth of T-bills into a market that was already experiencing some liquidity issues. What were some of the challenges facing the Treasury, the Fed, and and markets at that point? So no one talks about it anymore. But if you rewind just a few weeks ago at that time, I think there were a lot of scare pieces in the financial media about what could potentially happen when the Treasury refills its Treasury general account. So I'll give you some background on this. First of all, the U.S. government has a checking account at the Federal Reserve. It's called the Treasury general account. Now, during the debt ceiling, Treasury wasn't able to issue additional debt, so it was financing itself by running down its balance in that checking account. That balance had gone to really low levels of about uh, a bit under $50 billion. After the debt ceiling was passed, that meant the Treasury can go and top up their Treasury general account, which according to earlier documents, they wanted it to be above about $550 billion. One other background note to note is that when the Treasury fills up its Treasury general account, that cash can, broadly speaking, come out of two types of accounts. It can come out of the banking system or it can come out of the reverse repo facility. Exactly where that cash comes from really depends on how investors behave. For example, if the U.S. Treasury issued a Treasury security and I bought it, I would be paying for that Treasury security using funds I hold in my bank account. And so after a series of transactions, money would flow out of the banking sector and into the Treasury general account. An alternative scenario could be if a money market fund purchased the newly issued treasuries. In that case, a money market fund right now is holding all its excess cash in the reverse repo facility. So if a money market fund purchased newly issued treasuries, then money would flow out of the reverse repo facility and into the Treasury general account. So there are two ways two paths for cash to reach that Treasury General account uh, as as the U.S. Treasury was replenishing it. And at that moment, it it wasn't really clear as to where the cash would come from. The market often perceived there to be a big difference market impact-wise between where the cash would come from. If it came out of the banking sector, it was often perceived to be very disruptive. So uh, if you look at many market strategists, they would have some kind of model, which is kind of just a graph between the level of reserves in the banking system and, and the level of the S&P where reserves go up, S&P go up. And so from that perspective, you know, if you have a sudden decline in reserves, say $500 billion out of the banking sector and into the Treasury General account, that, that could potentially have been disruptive according to that framework. 
And in addition, not too long ago, we were having a panic in the banking sector. I recall that uh, there was a scramble for cash. A lot of banks, uh, they were trying hard to, to top up their liquidity. Now, if you're a bank, liquidity cash means reserves, means what you hold in your account at the Fed. And so if you had a massive drain in reserves out of the banking sector, say $500 billion, it could potentially have been stressful for some of these smaller banks who potentially could have been um, in need of liquidity. So that was one scenario. And the other scenario was the very benign scenario where all the cash to fill, fill up the Treasury General account would come out of the reverse repo facility. And now with the benefit of hindsight, uh, we see that actually because of actions by Treasury, the Treasury was able to engineer a very, very uneventful replenishment where almost all the cash to fill up their checking account at the Fed came from the reverse repo facility. And how exactly did they manage to accomplish that? Yeah, so just a little bit more background again. So historically, the money market funds have been the marginal purchasers of Treasury bills. That, however, was not the case for the past year and a half. For the past year and a half, the money market funds actually have not been buying treasuries. They've been letting their treasury allocations decline. And so that's why there was such a presumption by many market participants that this refill would have come not from RRP, but from the banking system, because money market funds haven't been in the market for several months. Now, there are two concerns that kept money market funds out of uh, buying bills. The first was price risk. So over the past several months, there's been a lot of uncertainty as to the path of policy. We started the rate hiking cycle, 75 basis points. We went down to 50, 25, and then we're pausing. But all along that path, there's a lot of uncertainty, depending on how the data turned. So if you are a money market fund, let's say you purchased a, a six-month bill, but you don't want to purchase a bill and then figure out, oh, the Fed actually has to hike rates uh, more than my expectations. If that's the case, then uh, the price of my bill is going to go down, and that's not going to look good for my monthly reports and to my investors. So you don't want to take that price risk. That rate volatility basically uh, kept money market funds on the sidelines. And in addition to that, money market funds can always invest in the reverse repo facility. And for them to want to buy treasury bills, the bill yields have to be higher than the expected path of the reverse repo facility offering rate. And until relatively recently, that just wasn't the case. It made a lot more financial sense to keep your money in the reverse repo facility. With that background in mind, in the first week of June, the U.S. Treasury released an announcement saying that they are going to issue a lot of bills, but they're going to focus in a very short-dated sector, including a new regular issuance of a six-month cash management bill. This directly addresses one of the concerns of the money market space in that by keeping the tenors of the bills really short, there's less of a price risk because it doesn't span very many FOMC meetings. That's good from a money market fund perspective. And the second thing is they issued so many bills, so in June alone, $500 billion worth, that basic supply and demand, that cheapened the price of bills, so bill yields go higher, and that made them attractive relative to the reverse repo facility. And so money funds bought bills in size in June. So based on the most recent public data released from the SEC, it looks like they purchased about $400 billion worth in June, uh, which was you know, most of the $500 billion issuance that was done then. And looking at what's happening with the reverse repo facility, in July, it looks like they continue to be purchasing bills. So the money market fund data from the SEC 
also shows that they shifted out of treasury repo and into bills, which is, of course, what we see in the daily reverse repo facility data. So all in all, it's a very smooth transition for the money market funds and for the market as a whole. Based on the Treasury's forecasted issuance, it looks like this is going to continue for another couple of months as well. Treasury anticipates that it will continue to issue a few hundred billion dollars in bills this quarter. Going forward, this is probably going to slow because the Treasury has a self-imposed guidelines to keep about 15 to 20 percent of its total debt in bills, and, and it's going to push against that pretty soon. But they were successfully able to drain the RRP um, significantly, and it looks like it, it's still down. One other thing that I would note is that although this makes it easier to from the funding sense, it also kind of slightly pushes against the Fed's intentions of trying to tighten financial conditions. When you're doing quantitative easing from the Fed's perspective, you're going out and you're buying, let's say, 10-year treasuries, five-year treasuries, seven-year treasuries. Basically, you're buying longer-dated treasuries in an effort to push down treasury yields. Now, QT, in theory, is the reverse of this, but in practice, it's not really the same because whether or not it increases, let's say, duration, interest rate risk, or puts upward pressure on treasury yields really depends on what tenor the U.S. Treasury chooses to issue at to refund uh, the Fed. And so far, by focusing its issuance on uh, very short-dated bills, in a sense, it's not really, quote-unquote, replacing the duration that the Fed took out initially when it did quantitative easing. Looking at this episode, could we conclude that the Treasury forged this strategy with draining the RRP in mind? You know, is that something that they wanted to do? I don't know, but it seems like that was intention based on just their focus on short dated issuance and their rolling out of a six week cash management bill. And I'd also note that this administration has taken a lot of people from the Fed. And so I know former colleagues from the New York Fed's trading desk who, who work in Treasury now. So so they do have that institutional knowledge. And it would seem like they would probably take into account market concerns when they're rolling out their issuance strategy. So so that makes sense to me. On the RRP facility, there was a lot of expectation for it to drain first when QT started and for reserves to kind of stay relatively high. But the opposite had happened. Even before the TGA was rebuilt, there was a lot of expectations that the RRP is not still not going to drain. So do you think this kind of changes people's minds about what might happen with the rest of the balance sheet program? Absolutely. Absolutely. So when the Fed is doing QT, it's taking cash out of the financial system, but the Fed doesn't have control over who loses that cash. So as you rightly note, over the past couple of years, as we've been doing QT, the RRP has been staying around above $2 trillion and all the cash has come out of the banking system. That's a problem to conduct QT because from the Fed's perspective, they think that the banking system needs a certain minimum amount of liquidity to function. They call it lowest comfortable level of reserves. Now, we're not really sure what that level is, just that, well, when you hit it, bad things happen. And I think there are some estimates by the Fed that that's probably around $2.5 trillion. So if the Fed continued QT and money continued to come out of the banking system rather than the reverse repo facility, then you could hit up upon that lowest comfortable level reserves level sooner than you'd like. But now that you have this new dynamic where money funds are again entering the the bill market, 
Well, that provides a channel where liquidity or cash can actually leave the reverse repo facility, go into the treasury's checking account, and then via fiscal spending, get spent back into the banking system. For example, let's say the treasury issues a bill, but instead of using the proceeds of that debt to increase the balance of the treasury general account, it uses it to finance its day-to-day -day spending. That means that money would flow out of the reverse repo facility into the treasury general account, and then get spent into, let's say, a Medicare recipient's bank account. That means that reserves can continue, liquidity in the banking system can continue to stay abundant for the foreseeable future, and thus giving a lot of headroom for QT to continue for, let's say, a couple more years, which is, I think, what the Fed would have liked it to do. What kind of market conditions do you think will ensure that the money market funds will continue to leave the RRP facility? So it's going to depend on, well, of course, the Treasury's choice of issuance. That's one thing. But I've noticed a couple other things that, that matter as well. Overall, I've noticed that over the past few months, money market fund assets have grown steadily. And then for the past few weeks, they haven't grown anymore. That's kind of odd because you would expect usually in a rate hiking cycle, because interest rates are high, people would take money and put them into money market funds because money market funds have more assets. They might have nowhere to invest, but invest in the RRP. But perhaps because there's such large amount of excitement in the stock market right now, uh, that there haven't been very many inflows into money market funds. That means that you know there's not a lot of demand for reverse repo investment into the reverse repo facility. But in the event, let's say that we have some kind of market correction, then we could have, again, a tremendous demand for cash, like we saw in, uh, let's say, prior corrections. An extreme example would be what happened in March 2020, where everyone takes money and puts it into a money market fund, and a market market fund has, has nowhere else to put it, but, but puts it into reverse repo facility. In that context, we could have um, you know, tremendous rapid drains in, in, the, in the amount of cash held in the banking system. That's just a tail risk. But so far, it seems like it's it's going to be pretty smooth, especially since the rate hike cycle is about to end. And if that's the case, there's also less volatility in rates as well. So that would be comforting for money market funds to continue to buy bills. Okay, so looking forward on QT, at what point do you think it will end? Is it when we start rate cuts? Is it when we hit a recession? Is there going to be another market function issue? Are we going to get reserve scarcity? Where where do you see the ending point? My sense is just looking, hearing from commentary from Fed officials is that they would really like the balance sheet to shrink and they would really like their primary tool, monetary policy, to be the federal funds rate. It seems like they feel like they understand that much better than what the balance sheet does. Uh, so I would expect this to continue until they reach a size where they think that you know we're just above the lowest comfortable level of reserves, maybe plus plus a bit of a buffer. That's definitely sometime in the future. So there's some insight from Governor Waller where he says that when he thinks about the amount of reserves in the bank system, he actually thinks about bank reserves plus reverse repo facility balances. Now, if you add those two together and you assume that the Fed's sense of lowest comfortable level reserves is around two and a half trillion dollars, you're getting a lot of space, you know, almost two trillion dollars of space that they could continue to withdraw liquidity from the financial system. So, you know, that that looks like it could continue for at least two more years. 
Would that continue even with rate cuts? Because that seems not to be the conventional belief. Yeah, that, that that is true. So, I mean, the conventional belief is you don't want to step on the brakes and accelerator at at the same time. My sense is that they they still want to continue to run off the balance sheet, even if they they cut rates. I haven't heard anything that would suggest the contrary. Dallas Fed President Lori Logan has uh, recently kind of made some comments in that direction, right? Also, following Governor Waller's comments from earlier this year, I think. Yeah. So. Laurie made some really prescient comments about how she thought the Treasury General account would be refilled. She noted that it would be oh, largely come out of the RRP facility and it would be uneventful, and that has come to pass. And she also noted that even if there was something wrong, even if there was some excitement in the markets where uh, rates might go up, well, there are tools that the Fed has to, to take care of that. We have, for example, the repo facility, which we did not have the first time repo rates spiked a, a couple of years ago. We also have the discount window. And of course, the Fed can toggle the reverse repo facility offering rate. So I think that's completely correct. Uh, we have all these new facilities, these safeguards in place just to make sure that even if there is some disruption because of quantity of tightening in money markets in the future, that that, that should be very uneventful. So I would not expect any sort of disruption that we saw, say, in a believe September in 2019. That that's not not likely given the current stout setup. The Fed and, and the Treasury are still continuing that project of of trying to up the resilience of the Treasury market. What worries you kind of having gone through the COVID episode and, and then putting some of these safeguards in place? What what still has to be done, do you think? And March of 2020, we had a kind of a breakdown in the treasury markets, which we have never seen before. The treasury market is supposed to be the largest, deepest, and liquidest market in the world. And yet at that time, there were people who wanted to sell treasury securities, and and they could not do that because the market wasn't functioning. And since then, there have been many suggestions as to what the official sector can do to to fix that. Uh, There's some noise about regulatory changes, making it easier for for banks to to intermediate. Perhaps there can be a change in having more clearing to make markets function better. Honestly, I think the fundamental problem is that the treasury market is growing at a rate that's just too quick. Now, for some context, so today, the daily treasury market cash volume is about $600 billion in transactions a day. So the overall size of the treasury market is about $24 trillion. Now, 20 years ago, the treasury market was about $6 trillion in size, and daily average volumes were about $400 billion. So since then, we have the daily cash volumes going up slightly from $400 to $600 billion a day, but the overall size of the market has gone from, say, $7 trillion to $24 trillion. And if you look at recent forecasts for the size of the deficit, that's going to continue to grow at a rate of about $1.5 to $2 trillion a year for the foreseeable future. If you have a market that's growing at that size, obviously the, the underlying infrastructure is, is not going to be able to support that. So I think it's a difficult problem to solve. Honestly, the best way is to just not issue so many treasuries, but you can also, let's say, add more dealers so that you have more intermediation capacity. Or you could probably shift the duration of your issuance to focus more on short data treasuries, which are more easily absorbed by the market. Now, there was some concern about treasury market functioning last year, but I think that that has 
been better than expected. The concerns stem from the fact that um, at that time, the, so the Fed, who had been a very large marginal purchaser of, of treasuries post-COVID, is stepping out of the market. At the same time, the banks, who had also been very large purchasers of treasuries post-COVID, were also stepping out of the market. And at the same time, uh, treasury issuance continues to grow. So there was some concern when you have major buyers in the market stepping out and issuance continues to grow. Uh, that could be troublesome for, for liquidity. And we did see poor liquidity for some period of time, which is still not great, but not as bad as expected. So what we're seeing right now is that um, you basically have a return to uh, the way things function before uh, 2020. And that is to say that the hedge funds have become the marginal buyers in cash treasuries through the cash futures basis trade. And they've increased that to sizable levels. Public data suggests that uh, they've purchased about a few hundred billion over the past several months. So you have new buyers come in, even as old buyers leave. And that's, I think, taking out some of the tail risk of what could have happened if issuance continues to grow without anyone sipping in and being the marginal buyer at a price that was not too shocking. Well, thank you so much for your insights. It's been a really great conversation, great explanation of what's been happening. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for listening to FedSpeak. If you like this show, please subscribe and tell a friend.